G'day and welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast. I'm your host, Turbo, and you have joined us because you are a passionate Spiro that wants to learn more and improve their spear fishing. That's right, like so many of us, you just want to get better at shooting fish, landing more fish, and becoming more skillful. And today we talk with Bill Corton, resident bar crossing expert here in Southeast Queensland. Now, bar crossing is a skill that many boaters and Spiros need to get out safely and home safely. And uh, we talked to Bill about all the skills you'll need to traverse the, the bar crossing in your area. Things like um, approaching waves, when to get on the throttle, when to get off the throttle, all of those things are covered today with Bill Corton. He's been in the in marine industry for decades and has been teaching bar crossing courses to trailer boat owners here in southeast Queensland for a very long time. Now, if you're wondering where Shrek is, well, I'll tell you, he's not here with me in the studio. He's in China. And uh, he is on a culinary rampage over there, scaring the hell out of the locals. He looks like a big red-bearded Viking, just working his way through restaurant after restaurant, having an absolute ball. However, Shrek will be in the episode. We pre-recorded this one with Shrek in studio. And uh, we did that so that we had enough episodes for you to have every fortnight while Shrek's away pursuing his dreams. Now... Let's not fluff around too much more, but before we get into it, I just want to say a big thank you to Nicholas Launder. He sent us a great pick to go in 99 Tips to get better at spearfishing earlier in the week. It's an absolute cracker. Now, Shrek sent me a quick email while he was away, and he said, put this in the front of the show, Turbo, or you get the sack, and it's not the first time he's actually threatened that. So here it is. So here's a... Well, we're always banging on about, can you leave us a review? Can you leave us a review? Well, somebody actually did it this week, and they did it on the book as well as the podcast. So pretty stoked. And here it is. It's from NJ McEwen. A really good collection of tips for spearfishing. The book is well written, and the authors have a good sense of humor that makes it easy to read. I am new to spearfishing, and this book has a lot of information that will help me improve. I've also been working my way through the Noob Spiro podcast that the authors run, and although it's not necessary to understand the book, I would recommend readers also listen to the podcast, mainly because they are good both in information and in an entertaining manner absolute cracker. I think that's even better than the other review, the other single review that somebody has done for us in the past. So two reviews now, we are stoked. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into it and throw it over to Shrek. I just want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Adreno. You can find them at spearfishing.com.au. They are one of the world's biggest and best spearfishing stores and stock every piece of spearfishing equipment you could ever imagine. They've got three locations, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. So go and check them out in store. But if you are shopping online, save yourself some money. Use the Noob Spiro code at checkout to save $20 on all purchases over 200 So that is at spearfishing.com.au and use the code Noob Spiro at checkout. Shrek, you know what I love just as much as going spearfishing? No, Turbo. I don't. What 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 do you love? I love pretending to read about spearfishing, and that's why Spearing Magazine is perfect for people like me. It is cover to cover, high glossy photos, teamed up with stories for people like you to read. It's an absolute gem of a magazine. Shrek, tell us all about it. Yeah, so there's actually good stories to accompany the good photos as well. As good and, as uh, the stories on noobspiro.com? <laughs> well, I don't want to compare, but... <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I mean, definitely better stories than the ones you write, um, but possibly not as good as the ones that I've written. 
But uh, Jeremy will get hold of some Noob Spiro stories in the near future. Hmm. Now, Spearing Magazine can be found at spearingmagazine.com. You can buy the magazine as a digital version <laughs> or as a physical copy. And uh, at the moment, if you are south in the southern hemisphere, you can get hold of the whole back catalogue. Yeah, really? Yeah, what yeah. can you do for me? You got a deal? <laughs> for, uh, or I'll put it in Australianese for you too. Yeah. For 60 bucks, which is like the cost of a carton and a bit of beer. 60 dollar dues. 60 dollar dues, mate. You can get the whole back catalogue, 19 issues, and uh, but you have to, you do have to email salesatspearingmagazine.com to secure this deal, but it's a bloody cracker. Absolutely. Get on it. G'day guys, welcome to today's Noob Spiro podcast. Today we're joined by Bill Corton, who's renowned for his bar crossing and boating courses here in Australia. Now, um, Bill's been at it in the boating game for a long time, and it's an, an absolute pleasure to have him join us on the show today. Welcome, uh, Bill. Thanks, guys. Look, Bill, um, can you give us a little bit of background on how you got started boating and uh, and where your passion comes from for it? Yeah, sure. Look, that's easy. Um I guess a lot of that started with my dad. Uh, we used to always go away on holidays every year. He, he was a fellow who grew up at um, Shorncliffe, and he loved fishing, and uh, had to get around in rowboats in those days. And we used to go to Noosa when I was a little kid, and it was always, you know, holidays with a rowboat and fishing and everything else. And uh, I guess um, I got lucky when I got a bit older um, with that passion for boats. I somehow managed to get a job at a, with the state government at a place called Department of Harbours and Marine. Uh, it was a yeah. very interesting place for anyone who loved boats, and uh, it went from there okay. from doing a bit of clerical work in there to working through a whole range of other activities as the years went on, and uh, just an interesting place to work. And uh, it was all about boats and activities and ships as well, of course. And uh, yeah, that just sort of fostered that uh, and, and nurtured that love of boating um, pretty well. That's it in a nutshell for you. Yeah, cool. So, how, how long did you end up working for them for? Oh, a long time, mate. Uh, Thirty-eight <laughs> years. Yeah. Wow. A look, look. It, it was a really good place to work. There was a lot of interesting jobs you'd do there. There's a lot of stuff that was safety related, like marine safety, um, marine pollution, infrastructure, shipping, port operations. Uh, look, it was for anyone who loves boats and ships. It was a fantastic place to work through that era. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So in that time, you 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 spent a fair bit of time around the ocean, but also in the ocean. I bet you saw more than your fair share of boating mishaps. Yes, look, Can a lot you... of those mishaps, also the, the, the outputs of those used to end up across my table. I had this strange job called the Secretary of the Marine Board for a number of years and it seemed everyone's problems ended up on my desk. And uh, oh, right. you know, the marine incident reporting was probably light, so the ones you got to see and hear about more than anything were the most serious ones. Yeah, yeah, you and I were chatting about things the other day and we were talking about, I believe we were talking about Spiros nearly getting run over by boats um, through not, you know, using alpha flags and things like that. And we were talking about, you know, the, the OHS triangle, you know, where they say there's five, um, you know, near misses for every accident, you know, and uh, and in the boating world, I, I suppose it would be no different. You'd have, uh, you'd, you'd be seeing the accidents and not all the near misses and hearing about it. So can yeah, you think exactly. of any memorable ones? Yeah, look, some things don't change. There's been a lot of interest in spearfishing in recent years, you know, and golly, um, you go back to when I was a younger bloke, we used to do a bit of spearfishing, started off banging around with a spear gun offshore before I really got into the fishing offshore. And um, I was in a dive club with the, um, the old QUT. Uh, okay. 
QIT back in those days, and then it became a university, Queensland University of Technology. They had a really good dive club. We used to play a lot of okay. underwater hockey midweek, and we'd go and do some spearing trips. And uh, we, always, yeah, right. we always did a dive flag, and um, the old marine legislation used to be written in a way that you had to display the dive flag. Although that's something when they went down this track of less prescriptive requirements that it fell out, and really um, it's one of those things that you should do. But uh, I recently came in from the uh, southern end of the 35 Fathom Reef off Brisbane here um, into the Sevens. I had a couple of fellows on board who hadn't been out that way. It was a little bit of what I do with the fish intuition side of things, another arm of what I do these days in what I call yep. semi-retirement. And uh, as we into the, <laughs> there was a boat there, and uh, I just noticed a little orange float eventually, and I thought, oh, geez, I'd better steer away from that. Turns out it was a couple of guys spearing, just free you know, like having a free dive along that upwelling of what we call the sevens. And uh, I actually said to the, pulled up and showing these guys that with me the pinnacles there, and I said to the guy in the boat, have you ever thought it was a good idea to have a code-A flag, mate? And he said, looked at me, shrugged his shoulders, and I thought, oh, there you go, there's another dickhead. The world's bloody full yeah. of Yeah, oh, far out. Yeah, mate, if, you, if, you, if you're not, if you can't be seen and you're under the water, then, you, you know, your risks of getting hit by a boat are exponential, you know, like even when guys have got their flags out, sometimes um, people don't understand what it means, but, I mean, the least you can do is have the bloody thing out. Well, that's right, because I think anyone who realises there is someone in the water uh, diving or spearfishing, snorkelling, whatever it is, you, you steer well away from them. Uh, you'd certainly reduce yeah. your speed significantly. Although it gets yeah. interesting out of the wave rider boy east of Brisbane here in about 80 metres of water. The, the spearos tend to go out there and jump in the water and frequently there'd be a lot of boats there. Everyone's trying to get a dolphin fish. The, the boys with the spear guns are trying to spear one. They're hanging on to the boy, so they're in, in there waiting for one to swim <laughs> past and there's guys casting, <laughs> casting live baits and so on. And I, I've often wondered how much drag a spear fisherman would pull if you hook one up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would pull a fair bit. Uh, I'm 120 kilos, so and we add that to the current that rips through out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, mind you, I don't want to be the bloke who has to test the drag. <laughs> no, it's it's a good spot to hit early in the morning when no one's there. But uh, once there's yeah. boats there, it's a it's a bloody it's a nightmare. It, it can be, uh, but it's also easy to work with people. You know, uh, the, the guys at the spear guns have got every right to be there in the water as well, and. I think everyone works together. It's not a problem, but gee, it helps when there's a little code A flag around and things like that happening. You actually, yeah. even if it's just on the boat that someone is sitting in while the boys are in the water, at least you have an indication that there is someone nearby in the water, and that'd be a wonderful thing if we saw more of it. You know. Yeah, all right, Bill. So we've got you on today to talk a lot about boating and bar crossing courses because that's you. What's what 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 courses do you run now? Um, just so we get a bit of an idea. Yeah, sure thing. Look, um, the, the 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 main core of my business is teaching people how to cross coastal bars. I also teach yep. people how to fish on the offshore reefs. I tend not to. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I do some fishing charters. I tend not to advertise them heavily. Uh, they sort of come to me through word of mouth, and that way I. I don't have to put up with some of the people you probably prefer not to have on your boat at times. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I've got a bit of low tolerance for drunks on the water and things like that. But um, yep. you know, me, a fishing charter is about focusing on the fishing, and that's the primary purpose of the day. And you know, I don't mind someone having a beer, but at the end of the day, that's not the primary purpose of it. It's about the fishing, and some guys get the wrong idea with charter. So I tend to focus on the things that are, uh, that are aimed at boat owners and helping them get the most out of their boats. and improving their skills and uh, abilities and capabilities at the same time. 
All right, now, so coastal bars. Um, wh- how do you classify a coastal bar? Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, uh, well, look, there's a legal term <laughs> for it. I'm not even going to go there. That's in a past life. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, look, I, I, I'm just sort of growing old and disgraceful. It's quite enjoyable. Um, yeah, it's good. Well, coastal bars are areas of um, estuarine uh, waterway that uh, empty into the ocean. And, uh, yep. you know, there's this in-out part of the world along here. There's plenty of coastal bars. You've only got to hop over the yep. border to Tweed Heads. That's a classic. Cudgeon Creek is a yep. nice, interesting one that's very shallow, uh, one that you would do daytime or nighttime, providing you had enough tide. Um, so it, it's a different set of circumstances because of the shallowness. Ah, oh, you know, places like Malula Bar, uh, Noosa, the Noosa River empties into the ocean. There's an interesting little bar. Um, there's one yep. up at 1770. And... Uh, it's ultra shallow at the moment. The whole region needs a really good flood to flush that estuary out, and uh, that entrance is very clogged up. And it's probably the northern extremity of where we get swells along our coastline, or the recognised yep. northern extremities, Agnes Water, just just alongside it there. So um, that's yep. that. So the coastal bar where swells roll in, and there's an interaction with the uh, with the waters flowing in and out of the estuary. Yeah. Okay, so you've crossed bars. You know, several times you've 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 been over a few of them. Um, when you <laughs> when you take guys out for a bar crossing course, what's kind of involved with that? Rightio. Well, look, it's I I do all the training in my own boat. It's actually registered for commercial passenger carrying offshore. Um, obviously, I, I do all the training myself. I've got the, the required skippers tickets, all the documentation, all the safety equipment. Basically, um, I take a crew of between two and four people with me on a boat at any time. Uh, I can take more than that, but I prefer not to. I, I like to limit it to four people because you've got plenty of handholds for them. Uh, they're safely accommodated, but more importantly, they're rotating around on the wheel doing the work, and they're not getting bored and stale waiting to turn, if you know what I mean. So um, yep. a tip, typical day would be, um, you know, we would meet at a boat ramp down to Cleveland. Um, we've organised everything in advance with um, time and everything, and, I'm looking for at least a metre of swell on the bar to um, teach people how to cross a bar. Swell's been these things that roll through that surfers paddle for and stand up on. So a, a windy yeah. day doesn't mean there's going to be a day of good swell. You can have a windy day and not much swell. You can have a day of absolutely no wind and a big swell, or you can have no swell. Yeah. So we just need swell, and uh, that's the key ingredient. That's the thing that people are afraid of, crossing bars and getting taken out by a wave, you know. And um, mm. gee whiz, from there... I like to skill the crew up on the way across to the bar about what we're doing, how we're doing, why we're doing. There's a process I like to engage in. I certainly like to uh, sit them down and provide some tea and coffee and some of the home cooking and get into their heads with things like wind, swell and tide and the impacts of all those things around the bar when they work with each other and when they fight each other, um, the techniques we engage in and so on. And uh, I like to do a little cook's tour around the bar. I call it a cook's tour because... It's a big passage, and yeah. it's got oh, yeah. two channels to it, and it's about seven and a half kilometres wide from the outside of one entrance uh, to the outside of the other end of the bar. So it's like three mm. bars in one area to do training in. And to the best of my knowledge, not being right around Australia, we've done a lot of caravan and off-road work, and I haven't seen a bar like South Passage uh, with the skill sets that are on offer that you can provide to people to train there, and that's why I use that one, guys. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's a phenomenal bit of water, and I've seen it in in in, in a, the, a fair range of um, conditions, from you know, like absolutely nothing going on to you know, like no swell, no wind, to the opposite end of things where 
you know, there's a good overhead swell rolling in, but not much wind. Um, I bet you you've seen it in some horrid conditions, Bill. Uh, yeah. Can you give us a, some some stories, some noteworthy stories? <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, oh, gee, I've got to be careful what I tell you here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, there was one day I did take the bar on, and uh, it was just to go fishing. There was a crew of fellows, and they really believe that they could easily stand up in a four-metre swell and fish. And it was a glassy day. Um, yeah. I went into this tackle shop. Uh, a new bloke had bought it, and he wanted to organise the charter for a group of his friends and so on. And I went in to tell him, look, it's a nice day tomorrow, but that swell's really up there. It might be smarter if we give it a miss and go another day. But as soon as I walked in, he was like waving a red rag at my face saying, oh, I see it's going to be glassy tomorrow. Can you handle the bar? And there was a red rag at a bull to me, and I thought, ah, right, eh? what time do you want to meet down the left? We went and had a crack, and it was quite interesting because it was totally glassy, probably the biggest swell I've ever seen on that bar in terms of likely to go through because conditions were smooth. And we were on the incoming tide, the bottom end of the incoming, in the days when the northern channel was a nice deep channel, better than what it is in now you couldn't even contemplate it these days and yeah. i must have sat there for 20 minutes waiting for a big enough gap in the sets to get out through the bar and the funny thing was we got out the other side and one of the crews said oh this is amazing look at the size of these waves stop stop i want to take some photos they were sitting in 20 <laughs> meters of water out the back of the bar and we're actually measuring four meter swells on the sounder so it's not just bill's oh, version yeah. of the size that was on the sounder so that means by the time they rolled into that shallow those shallow banks there, which were about four metres deep, that swell was a lot bigger than four metres. So that was probably oh, the biggest yeah. I've seen it. Uh, coming home, I had said to the boys, we need to be there no more than an hour into the run-out tide. We'll be out of control by, by more than an hour. We must have got back just, you know, almost on the hour. And I saw it and I thought, oh, this is going to be a nightmare run home. Uh, this is really out of control already. In fact, it was so big coming home from the northeast. You couldn't hold a straight line on autopilot. It was easy to take the autopilot off and steer manually because we were doing a zigzag otherwise, you know. And um, wow, yeah, anyway, wow. we, we came in on the back of one big one and it was sort of mid-range, what I call mid-range, plenty of white water under us just surfing over the banks and tide roaring out into us. And the boys are saying, oh, this is awesome. I said, well, have a look behind you, lads. And this monstrous big thing was sitting right up on our tail. And what they didn't know was my throttle was wide open. I had nothing left, and we were glued onto that wave in front. And, you know, um, not the smartest um, of decisions, I, I suppose, but it was an interesting day. I didn't have enough fuel to go home around the Cape, up around Cape Morden, so we had to come in. And you do what you do, yeah. and you follow the principles that you teach other people, and it all works for you. And the irony is, look, that, that, that 250 Yammy I had then was about a a 3.6-litre engine. The 250 these days is a 4.2-litre engine. It's got tonnes of torque. So the situation yeah. never occurs again, you know. Um, in terms of extremes, look, I, I did a really interesting bar crossing course for the Brisbane Water Police only a few weeks ago. It was a um, very windy day, a couple of metres of you know serious swell out of the east, uh, big tide on the, around the full moon, so they're the biggest tides in the daytime. And... Uh, yeah, the place was like a giant washing machine on the run-out tide. But, you know, an 11.3-metre boat that weighed about six tonnes with three 300-horsepower outboards on the back, we were getting tossed <laughs> a bit during the day. It had a lot, of, yeah. lot of, a lot of grunt, but it made you appreciate the power of the ocean. So, again, we put all the principles of what we would normally do in the place, 
we just extended the process into a, an area of water that was a bit churny and a bit more ugly than what I'd prefer in my own boat. And we did the day very, very safely, worked all the channels, and uh, it, it worked like a charm. And those guys were very happy because at the end of the day, they get tasked to go out in some terrible conditions, and they were some ideal conditions to learn. Not that they were learners, they were they had very advanced skills. Um, yeah. The competency levels in the boat were extremely high, and without that, you wouldn't be there in those sorts of extreme conditions. And it gives you a lot of respect for those guys and uh, their willingness yeah. to tackle the tough tasks. And uh, I take my hat off to them. I thought they were just amazing. All right, so we've sort of got a good overview of your knowledge and we've heard a few sort of good stories there, Bill. Um, with um, with spearfishing, um, we, we talked briefly the other day, we were talking about guys heading out in small boats and dodgy conditions and, um, you know, I mean, obviously that's a mistake in and of itself, but what are some common mistakes, you know, um, guys in spearfishing spear boats and small line fishing boats, what, what are some of the common mistakes they make crossing the bar? Right, well... I, I guess probably the most common mistake is they don't do enough homework and just go at a time that suits them, not necessarily the best time for that marine environment of crossing the bar. Like a run out tide on the southern end of our South Passage Bar, and most of the guys work the southern end because that takes them out around Point Lookout where there's a lot of shallow reef where you're likely to spear offshore or go down to the wade boy. And that's a very shallow channel down there. When the swell's out of the east, it's very ugly when the tide runs out. And the last, actually, the last two guys to drown on that bar, that occurred in, um, it was Australia Day 2011. I think that was a little 4.88-metre um, uh, centre console. And at the end of the day, there was a couple of basic things that could have been done that day, and we wouldn't even be having the conversation. So small boat, um, boats up to 4.8 metres in Queensland waters crossing a coastal bar, you must wear a life jacket. Uh, th these guys knew boats and they didn't bother to wear a life jacket and they were over the 4.8 by, you know, a whole 80 millimetres, bugger all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Video on board the boat, but I know boats, so they didn't bother to log on and no one knew they were out there. The dive operator that day did find the upturned boat and there was no reports of anything. Uh, there was no log-ons around all the volunteer groups around the bay who did, you know, the radio log-ons and... Um, it really wasn't until later that night when the wife of um, the boat owner rang to report his um, boat overdue and um, there were two dead people out there. So a simple thing like locking on in those conditions would have helped. Wearing life jackets, I think there would have been two lives saved, to be honest. So doing little things like that in small boats is, is a very worthwhile thing. Some people might think wearing a life jacket's a little bit wanky, but at the end of the day, if it's potentially going to save your life, if you have a nasty interaction with a swell and roll your boat over, I think it's a great thing to be doing. Um, I've actually come across five overturned boats on South Passage Bar over the years while I've been in the process of doing training for other people you know, on how to cross bars. No one knew these people were in the water. I think the biggest mistake they all made, well, four of the five bailed out in front of a big one and rolled the boat over. So... Uh, and the last one wasn't looking behind him as he came in and he got lifted from behind and a big one rolled down the face of the wave and flipped her over at the base, you know, and the wave crashed over the top of them. And, uh, you know, life jackets and all those scenarios are good but if you've got them on. Some of the people in those overturned boats had to take life jackets off because they couldn't get out from turned boats. So I, I think a, an inflatable jacket's a great way to go. Manual inflators even better. You can swim away and pull the ripcord. And then you get the smarties to say, oh, what if you knock yourself out? Well, 
the five instances that I've come across, no one was knocked out. And, um, and some did have to take their life jacket off to get out from the upturned boat. So I think a, a manual inflate's a great way to go too. Um, and, and look, I don't always practice what I preach. Uh, admittedly, I'm running around in the 6.85 metre boat. It's full of upright flotation and all that as part of my survey requirements. Um, but at the end of the day, if it's a real tiny day and there's no swell on the bar, I usually don't worry about a log on um, or we don't necessarily wear life jackets. But on the days when it is a bit dicky, I prefer all the crew to put them on. And yes, we do our log ons. And um, I think the, the fact that guys should be using their radios frequently, if you need to use it in anger one day, at least you know it's going to work, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah. the log on's not a yeah. bad idea. Yeah. A lot of blokes will just leave their boat sitting out in the sun. Um, it might be there from month to month until they get around to going boating. Their steering might gum up on them. Their electrical, uh, their electricals might not be good, bit of corrosion. They might need to run a bilge pump one day and there's no pump working. And, you know, the old throttle gets a bit stiff. And oh, there's so many things you can do with maintenance to improve your lot so you, that you don't have to become a conversation, if you know what I mean. Safety. If you're anything like my mid-30s friend, Shrek, then you probably look like you're dressing out of the 90s still. I've just got to say right now, a big thank you to Storch Industries who sent us a couple of shirts for Shrek in double XL. He looks bloody mint and he's not an embarrassment to be around. So if, you, if you're looking for some spearfishing apparel, check out Staunch Industries. I think their website staunchindustries.com. Check them out. Their stuff's absolutely excellent. They've got some great designs. Today's Noob Spirit podcast is also proudly brought to you in partnership with penetratorfins.com. Get on there, guys. Have a look at some of the designs they've got. They've got clears. The blacks are beautiful. Check out the Noob Spirit custom Oki print. It's mad as well. Larry's got a full range of wicker designs, and he's got beautiful finish on his fins. He's uh, recently updated his manufacturing process. It's even better than it was before. He makes some of the best fins in the world. Uh, he offers a full international warranty along with $25 flat rate shipping worldwide. And uh, to, to make that offer even sweeter, pump in the code Noob Spiro at checkout and save another 20 bucks. Penetratorfins.com. Support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with our sponsor. Guys, Spearing Magazine have joined the Noob Spiro podcast to bring this episode to you today. Now, Spearing Magazine are... They're actually they're the best spearfishing magazine in the world. I'm saying it. Turbo said it. Now you know it. And uh, if you head over to Spearing Magazine, you can check out the team. They've got Jeremy Gamble, John Paul Castro, Sky Bailey, Christopher Landers. You have a look. There's some f fantastic people they've got on staff. And that's why they produce the world's best spearfishing magazine. The photography is just popping. The stories are awesome. Turbo's been rejected several times. And... Uh, that's how you know it's top quality. So head over to SpearingMagazine.com. You can buy it. You can buy it at your local retailer in the US. We, you can even get the digital subscription online. SpearingMagazine.com. All right, Bill. If we're going out through a bar, um, what are some of the techniques or strategies um, you do when coming up to a wave or a swell when going out through a bar? Right. Yeah. Well, look. The, the first thing is. Have, you need to have an understanding of the speeds that swells travel at. Even on a real tiny day, a little swell is going to travel at around about 12 knots. Um, mm -hmm. Occasionally, they'll get up around the 15-knot mark. We had a really nice swell a couple of weekends ago, 
it was a large, it wasn't that large. I think it had, it had dropped down to about two and a half metres on the Saturday. It was three metres a day before I spent the day there. Uh, those swells that Friday and that Saturday, they were travelling to about 16 to 18 knots. So you got a fair, you got a fair lump of water rolling at you there at a fast speed. So say a cockpit on my 685 on the cruise craft, the 685 Explorer, say maybe I could fit three, three and a half cubic metres of water into that cockpit. Well, a cubic metre of water is one tonne of water you know, a thousand kilos of water. And uh, so how many, how many tons have you really got in the swell that's traveling at about 12 to 15 knots and on some days at a faster speed? So the interaction thing when you're going out is what you've got to be wary of. So, you know, a smart like trims his motor down, has his engine tucked in as tight as it will go. That keeps the bow down and that minimizes the amount of lift as you go up over a wave. Um, and if you're running out into a wave, the trick is you've got to look at where you've got to go. You can't just go where the waves are going to break. If there's a heavy break all the way across, you sit on the inside and you wait till there's nothing coming and wait for a bit of a lull or a flat period. Or where the odd wave rolls through, you don't want to go for the peak of the wave. You want to steer early out towards the shoulder of the wave where the wave is rounded. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, as you approach that wave, you've got to powder off the face and you've got to throttle back before you get to the crest. If you don't back it off, you, you know, you're not going to land gently on the other side. You're going to Lift, pop your bower up much higher and you're going to crash down the other side. So the trick is, back it off, flop gently down on the other side of the swell as you go over it. And in theory, look, the faster you can get to a swell, the less steep it is on its face. But you've got to be prepared to back your speed off a lot by the time you hit that wave, you know. And then in the trough, as soon as you land, put the throttle back on and then race up to the next one. Back the throttle off again, up you go, flop gently down the other side and keep going. And... Uh, Smart blokes head for the lowest part of the wave because it's the last bit to break. And having an eye on the sound is a good idea. Um, you know, a swell will break in a depth of water that's 2.2 times the height of the wave. And it's a nice little rule of thumb to keep in the back of the mind when you're playing around on coastal bars. And approaching approaching a wave where dead square, approaching the swell, oh, is that well, right? When they're, when they're really steep, you've got to get a dead square and a lot slower uh, or you're not going to get over. Uh, if there's a little bit of roundness in the wave, an angle works even better, you know. If you can take an angle 10 or 15 degrees off dead centre, 20 degrees, even 30 degrees will work. What angles do, it allows you to go a bit faster over the wave, and on the way up, if you can aggressively back that throttle off, you'll get a softer landing. It means as soon as you land, you can power on hard into the next one, and if there's a nasty set out the back and you get several waves along the way, the intermediate ones before you get to the nasty stuff, all these seconds and half seconds of time you can buy by working an angle as you go over a wave, buying a bit of speed, still getting a soft landing, you know, there's a lifesaver, a technique like that. And then the real trick is look, just don't lose your nerve and bail out in the face of a big one that's rolling at you. Uh, because of the speed a swell travels at, it takes a bit of time and distance to get around in a boat. And if you're a bit bogged down in the water, you can't, you can't turn around and do a runner. Uh, you're going to get caught side on and you're really going to be in a lot of trouble. And that's where most guys fall into the trap of um, rolling a boat on a bar. You've got to make that call. You've got to stand by your judgment call. And sometimes, you know, you're in for a caning. But at the end of the day, it was your call to run when you did uh, that crossed the bar. And sometimes you've got to say to your crew, hold on tight. It's going to be a hard landing. You might risk popping a screen out or tearing the clears or something. But that's an awful lot better than doing a runner at the last second and being caught side on and rolled over and everyone in the water, you know, with a boat upside down. That's not a good look, is it? So, you know, <laughs> things like that, they help a bit. So once you commit yourself, you've got to keep going forward. True story, guys. Yeah. 
two weekends ago, yep. I know of a gentleman, a little four-and-a-half-metre plate boat, ran uh, about up to two-and-a-half metres as well on the sets on the bar. Uh, it was still that um, incoming, the incoming tide. He was not, probably not going fast enough. He got to a section on the bar at the southern end of Amity where a big set rolled through. He got a bit bogged down and he wasn't going fast enough when he hit it. And about a little four-and-a-half-metre plate, he went up and up and up. Uh, the poor guy who was the driver lost his balance and he fell out of the boat into the water. And lucky he had a mate with him and the mate could actually drive the boat. The mate was able to, to um, take control of the boat when it landed. He, he was able to hang on, obviously, and he stayed in the boat, brought the boat around, picked the other fella up out of the water in between the sets and um, they were good to go again. Yeah, they came right in at that point and went back home. And fortunately, the guy who was the driver, he, was, uh, he had a life jacket on and it inflated for him when it was supposed to. He knows everything works well. But I had said to him, don't ride on a day when it's right up there. You're only a small boat and you're vulnerable when you're an open centre console. So it's a, a good example of a good day not to tackle a big one and be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But it was a good outcome, luckily. Yeah, mm. right. All right. When, you've got, when you've got guys um, with catamarans, Bill, like I've been out in some horrible – well, I've had a few – sort of scary experiences in a catamaran just because they they're a different sort of boat um and like do you give them different advice with the bar is there anything different you teach them yeah look you 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 really gotta you gotta spot the waves a bit earlier you know cats aren't the best riding boats into a head sea let's face it um it's Mm. just fact of life compared to say a comparable mono hull so yeah that's the hard bit for the cat coming home's the easy bit and not getting too beam on and too sideways across swell. So the real trick for the guys with the cats is when the surf is up, read it, read the waves a bit further ahead. Have that little bit okay. of pace on, climb to the shoulder of the wave a bit earlier and get there with a bit of time to spare. Or if you think it's going to be one of those real dicky sets that's coming through, gee, it's a lot easier to sit on the inside of the bar and just wait for the next lull and slide through then, you know? Bill, um, so... We got out through the bar. We've got those techniques. What about uh, how how what do you do coming back in through the bar? Rightio. Look, coming home is the easiest one for everybody. Uh, at the end of the day, you've got to look for where there's no waves breaking on the way out. And that's where you determine where you're going to go. The whole trick going out is to avoid the swells. Where the least amount of mm. wave action is is a good place. But if you've got a place that's high tide and there's you know a little swell rolling through, um, everywhere's going to look good at the high tide. The trick is to read the water and have a look at water colour and what's blue is darker, you know, like what's darker is bluer and that's deeper. Stick to those sorts of places. And if you go out through the, the deepest water at high tide, when you get back to the bar and say at six or seven so hours later on, it's the bottom of the tide. If you went in the deepest place, you're not going to get such a surprise going home. So it's a really good idea to put some waypoints into your GPS as you go out through a bar. Don't rely on a track memory. Uh, in a GPS, a lot of guys will save a trail or a route or whatever they want to call it, and they've they've cut out the available track or a lot of the available track memory. And I know plenty of fellas have been out for the day offshore, fishing, spear fishing, whale watching, whatever. They come back to the bar, and the snail trail of where they went out in the morning is no longer there. They've got no waypoints GPS, and the poor bastards are lost. So I always say. Put waypoints in as you go out, and you've got a good permanent reference then. And then mm. as the bar changes a little bit over time, it's easy to put a new waypoint in and pull the old one out at the same time if you're familiar with your menu system. And 
it's not a branded GPS. You can't do that quickly with it. You're familiar with the menu. So coming home, line up your outside marks, um, your outside waypoints. A good technique on the way out is have a look at what's behind you on the run out. Have you got a feature that you might like to line up if your GPS dies on you? You might be running out, say, 60 degrees on your compass from, from the land, from a land, landfall mark that's prominent. Well, it's e- easy. If you've got no GPS coming home, 240 degrees on, on that landfall mark and you've got a reference, you know. Um, yeah, I've, yeah. Had, I've had phone calls from guys who've been outside bars whose GPS had, well, not phone calls, a phone call from a bloke whose GPS died. He somehow knew about what I did with crossing bars, rang me for a bit of guidance to help him in, and I just simply asked him for a compass heading on the bottom of Morton Island, read this point, give us your compass heading, I'll know where you are pretty much uh, with ease. Oh, sorry, mate, I don't have a compass. So <laughs> that was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> so I oh, just said wow. to him, bring the Coast Guard or the Volunteer Marine Rescue and they can come and bring you in and you can pay their fuel. And most guys don't yeah. want to spend into their pocket, you know, they're big on talk. <laughs> dollars and um yeah an alternative wait for someone to come through the bar and hope they know their way and follow them he wasn't really yeah. impressed with bits of advice but anyway that wasn't my problem <laughs> uh, told himself to give himself an uppercut and put a compass on his boat before he goes out again <laughs> yeah uh, and, and look it, uh, it, you know, just making light of the fact the poor bloke he wasn't very happy and he was he was in a, a tough spot lucky it was a small day on the bar but I had another fellow come up to me one day. His GPS had died while he was out fishing. He saw what I was doing. He pretty much got it right. And it was great to have a little conversation with him, a little bit of fine-tuning with where he was going, and his was a piece of cake, you know. And uh, yep. so putting some waypoints in is good. Knowing what plan B is, if your, if your GPS dies, is another good thing to do. Probably the sort of mm. thing most people don't do, but it was the only thing we ever did when we never had a GPS all those years ago. The skills okay, are being cool. lost. We're relying on the electronics a lot, aren't we? You know. Yep. And then, mm. you know, the guys, the, the GPS that works well, that are probably inexperienced, the lineup where they come in through the bar, where they went out in the morning, where the best water was. You might think you look at that little screen. You're on a wide range, and you think, oh, we're pretty close to our entry point. We might start going in here. Well. If you start zooming in a lot more, you might find you're three, four, five, six hundred meters away from the start point. And distances like that mean everything if you're not in the channel, especially if it's an open bar. Like it's a bit easier where you've got a couple of breakwaters on the on the bar entrance, and you've got to drive your boat in through in between those rock walls. You know that's like leading an animal along with a ring through the nose. That's an easy one. But where yeah. you've got natural sandbar where there's all sandbanks everywhere and no rock training walls, it's a whole new ball game to line up positioning. But mm. once you've got that sorted, that's good. Now, some technique, um, you've really got to sit around and have a look at what the waves are doing where you're going in. If the tide's still running out, there's a high likelihood that if there's a bit of swell around, the sets are going to break across the entrance. Some of these entrances these days, they get a bit interactive. You get surfers around them, you get guys on jet skis. What I call terrorists on jet skis, terrorising everybody else. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I love growing old disgracefully, eh? <laughs> I, I call it as it is, you know. And, yeah. And I say to guys, hey, if you see a bloke in a jet ski and you don't like him, don't go out of your way to upset him. It could be a baby patrol <laughs> officer, it could be a water policeman too, you know. They have jet skis and they do patrol work on them. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a surprise to someone? Anyway. <laughs> Oh, you got to have fun. 
Anyway, look, you, yeah. you should be looking around, and if you've got a cross where the odd swell breaks, particularly if you've got surfers and that across a bar surfing, like I was down in Brunswick Edge the other week, and the best break when the surf was up was right across the bar entrance, and there's a few boats coming and going. So um, choose your wave in a set. Find a nice big one to sit high on the back of. Get your bow up through the, the front of that wave. If it's a shallow bar, you need to be up there to get some depth under your transom anyway so you don't bottom out. And if it's an interactive bar or anyone else that's coming out or anyone who's engaging in a bit of water sport around that bar, they can see you coming in from quite a distance. And because you're sitting mm. up high on the back of a wave, it's like growing a fly bridge and you can see them as well. And uh, you can take yeah. some action to avoid them. You know, if you've got a bit of a, a horn there on the boat, you can give it a few blasts and let them know you're coming through. Just do common sense stuff, you know. And um, if everyone works together with things like that, you never have incidents to talk about. It can be a really good, fun place. Thanks to Staunch Industries for sending us some shirts. They are absolutely fantastic. Shrek now only scares away one in three women at bars, (laughs) and that's not his dress sense. Two in three was due to his dress sense. The third one is the staring and the groping. So... If you want to pick up your game and look a million bucks, head on over to staunchindustries.com. Staunchindustries.com. Real man's apparel. <laughs> and, and women. Hey, Magic Bill. Um, we've, we've, we've got a shoot. I've had an absolute blast. Yeah. We've got some really good um, tips and info out of you today. We've, uh, we're sadly pushed for time. Um, I would like to link up... In our show notes, we're going to have a bit of a, a page for Bill Corton's uh, bar crossing on our website. Right. Where can people find you, Bill? What's the best way they can reach out oh, and find look, you? Uh, they can email email me as well, Isaac. Um, okay. It, let's see, my boat my boat's called Real Affair, so the boating business is Real Affair Queensland Property Limited. So it's easy to have a, a, an email address like real r double l underscore affair at yahoo.com. Hey guys, I hope you've enjoyed the chat. Anyway. I've I've, I've had a ball, Bill. Unfortunately, we were pushed for time today, but um, we got some really good information. Uh, People can find you uh, you, through your mobile or your email if they want to reach out and get hold of you for a bar crossing course. Any parting bits of uh, advice or wisdom for our listeners? Oh, look, just do your homework with the weather. If the wind's within a window you can work with, there's your first tick in the box. Have a look at the swell. How big is it? What direction? And then look at your tide times. Maybe go a bit earlier and get out on an incoming tide when the surf's up and um, yep. do, do the little common sense things like that and then we shouldn't be having to talk about you as an, as an example down the track either. Yeah, magic, Bill. All right, mate. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us today, Bill. Pleasure to have you. All right. Likewise. Thanks, guys. See ya. Guys, spearfishing is all about self-improvement. It's about practice, time in the water, and getting better, holding your breath longer. But you know what? Sometimes you can buy a piece of equipment that really lifts your game, and that is a good set of fins. Now, good set of fins, what does it do? It makes you more efficient in the water. They are more reactive. You get more bang for your buck in terms of energy in versus energy out. And the best fins, the fins that we love the most, that are not only super reactive and super efficient, but really strong and they're going to last years on your feet are the Penetrator range. So get over to penetratorfins.com and check out their full range of composite and carbon fiber blades. On top of that, we now have a code for you guys to save $20 off your next set of Penetrator blades. So pump that code in, Noob Spiro, at checkout, and you'll save $20 off. Add to that, 
Penetrator is now offering a flat rate international shipping of $25 for you, the Noob Spiro listener, and even more, a full international warranty. So get in there now, check out all the great designs, and get yourself a set of Penetrator blades. G'day, guys. We're uh, joined with Simon Tripp today. You might remember him from episode 001. He was one of the first guests we had on the Noob Spiro podcast. Simon is a prominent member of the popular Sydney-based spearfishing club, San Susi Dolphins. He joins us today to tell us about some of the benefits for joining a spearfishing club in your area. So thanks for joining us today, Simon. Oh, pleasure, Shrek. Thanks for the intro, mate. Cheers. Mate, three reasons to join a club. Um, to quote the St. George diver, Jesse Cripps, um, an endless source of information you get from clubs. It's just everything from safety, responsible fishing, fish ID, uh, skill sets, and you're getting to meet uh, like-minded people. It's fantastic. Um, and with these skills that you're learning from being around people, um, your confidence grows, and with that, your spearfishing improves out of sight. So um, you're going to go from an absolute beginner or if you're already a good diver shooting a few fish, you just pick up more. Um, and you, before you know it, you're travelling everywhere, up and down the coast or overseas with your mates from your club, uh, through contacts from other clubs, and uh, before you know it, you can be an ambassador for the sport, which leads us to my third point, where by joining the club, you've just strengthened the associations that are in Australia. And by strengthening the associations, you're preserving your right to spearfish. You, we look after your access. And uh, that's all important because without having safe places to spear, we wouldn't be able to do what we love. I just think a lot of people don't realise what clubs and the association like the USFA does uh, in looking after your own backyard. Um, we need the numbers to continue to lobby the bureaucrats, the fisheries departments, and in an endless battle with the green. Cool. So if, if guys want to find out maybe a little bit more about joining a club, is there a website you'd point them to? Yeah, definitely. So usfa.org.au um, and you can scroll down. There's clubs everywhere in, in New South Wales. We're predominantly New South Wales. Um, there's a Darwin club and there's a Queensland club as well, links there. My club's the San Susi Dolphins. We meet at Chifley at the South Sydney Amateur Fishermen's Association, third Tuesday of the month from 7.30pm. Come along. It's, it's free to come along. Free barbie. Got to pay for the rum and cokes. That's it. <laughs> um, but, it, but yeah, meet the guys. Anywhere from 20 to 60 guys are there a meeting. Yeah, awesome. So, guys, um, I mean, we've heard it from Simon today, but there's spearfishing clubs all over the world. Wherever you are in the world, there's probably a spearfishing club. And if there's not, jump on Facey. I'm sure you'll find a group of good guys in your area. Start one. All right, cheers for that, Simon. Thanks for joining us today. Cheers. Thanks, Rex. Thanks, Turbo. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you got something out of it. You will surely improve your bar crossing in the future. And a big thank you to Bill Corton for joining us. Now, our next episode is with Sean Haskup in Costa Rica. He's an absolute gun. He loves a Cubera snapper, and he's shot some absolute crackers down there. And he also talks to us about hunting the tuna populations that have returned to the area. Now, it's quite interesting what they do there. I won't go into it too much and spoil it, but it's an, it's an interesting tactic that I've not seen before, and uh, he's great to talk to. He also he runs a spearfishing lodge in Costa Rica, which is very accessible to anyone in the United States. So he provides a fantastic service and has some great hunting grounds down there. So join us for that one. 
And in the meantime, hopefully we'll cross to Shrek while he's away in China and get a Skype interview with him at the start of next episode. So thanks for listening. Thanks for joining. And check out all of our sponsors that help keep the doors open at Noob Spiro. So that's Adreno, Spearing Magazine. Uh, who else we got? We got Penetrator Fins and Spear Apparel. So thank you to all you, all you guys. Um, go and check their products out. Yeah, they're absolutely fantastic. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next fortnight. As we all know, every good Spiro needs a good supplier of good equipment. Now, you can find that good equipment at spearfishing.com.au. That's right, our show sponsor, Adreno. Their online store can be found at spearfishing.com.au. And if you use the code NoobSpearer at checkout, you'll save yourself $20 on all purchases over $200. So get online and check those guys out. Guys, today's show is not only brought to you with our partner, spearfishing.com.au, it's brought to you by our brand new ebook available on Amazon Turbo. What's the thing called again? It's called 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. Why is it called 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing? Because it's got 99 tips in there to help you get better at spearfishing. I thought you said there was way more than 99. Well, there's 99 official tips, but each tip can be broken down into several tips. So it's like tips and tips and... Oh, it's tips on tips. A multiplication of oh, tips. Mate. Just actionable information. Oh, you can put it straight into action. That's awesome. the best thing about it. It should have been tips. called 99 actionable tips to get better at spearfishing. Oh. But because we we're paying per letter on the cover, we just went with 99 <laughs> tips to get better at spearfishing. <laughs> All right, guys, available on Amazon.com. Thanks for joining us today on the Noob Spiro podcast.